0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're so pleased that you've been able to join us.
1: The word of God causes a reaction. Sometimes it's completely irrational, but it is meant to cause a reaction. It actually is meant to cause a response.
0: In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God's word to the people, as written by Jeremiah's scribe, was presented to the king. He was not having a bar of it. God's word made him uncomfortable and he literally tore it up and burned it. God's Word is no ordinary book, and as Christians, we have a responsibility to know it and wisely share it with our civic leaders. Let's join Dr. Corbett now in Jeremiah chapter 36 as he goes tearing through the scriptures.
1: Jeremiah, the prophet who wept, and we're in chapter 36. We're going to look at just 20 verses. We're continuing with this story, and we're not going to complete this episode. We set it up by saying this. We're now going back in time a little bit. So, of the the twenty something years of ministry that we have tracked with Jeremiah over the last three or four years, we we are now going back just a few years. We're going back in time. He, you got to appreciate that that Hebrews wrote in a way that is that is not strictly the way we write in the West. In the West, we we write kind of beginning, middle, end. Hebrews didn't necessarily do that. What the, what the Hebrews would often do is they would set up what we call the talking points or the categories. So, for example, the Hebrews might uh, introduce a book by saying, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Right, that's Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. Now... That sets it up. And this is, Matthew is the, the Hebrew version of the Gospels, of the four Gospel writers he was writing to a Jewish audience. And then he picks out 14 strategic names and puts an event right in the middle of it. And, and you could be forgiven for thinking that there was no gaps in between the 14, and you'd, but you'd be wrong, there actually are. And he picks those 14, and if you have a look at the 14 names he picks in that first group, you'll notice the name of a woman. And it's interesting, because I wouldn't have picked this woman to be an ancestor of Christ, Tamar. I wouldn't, have, because it's a, it's, a, it's a shady story that brings her into the biblical story. Then he picks another 14 generations, and he brings in another woman. Her name's Bathsheba, and I probably wouldn't have picked her either, as a highlight of Christ's ancestors. And of course, before then, he, he picked another woman in another group of 14 generations, and her name was Rahab, Rahab. When I say Rahab, you think the prostitute. So he's picks the names of three strategic women. Now, you, now I'm going to ask you the question, were there only three women in the lineage of Jesus? It's a silly question, of course not. But why did he pick those three? The fact that we can now see it, the fact that we identify it, should tell you he's left out huge gaps in that statement of Christ's genealogy why has he done it this is the way Hebrews did it they told stories by giving you big picture headings. and when you understand this you can understand how Jeremiah is now going back in time and he's filling in some details we've been introduced to this character Baruch Baruch is an amazing man gifted as a scribe Let's have a look at verse 20 and we'll pick it up from there and you can see how this is dramatically uh, illustrated this passage of scripture. So they went into the court of the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elisha, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Now, you notice that the king is Jehoiakim. Uh, so we're going back in some time here and in a, what, what is about to happen is that the prophecy that the king of Babylon would come in. And take them is about to be fulfilled in a matter of weeks. Jehoiakim would be taken. In fact, he would be made a prisoner. And his uh, brother, uh, who would be renamed Zedekiah, his name is Jehoiachin, he would be placed, made king uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and have, and be renamed. The Kings did this uh, as, a, as a mark of their power over their subjects. So he's renamed Zedekiah. So... If you're reading through and you see these names, that's, that's what all this is about. Now, it's, it, when I see this, I, I reflect on this, that here's these guys, these, these two guys, they go, the king needs to hear this. The king needs to hear this. And I, I think every civic leader, and I was going to put every king needs to hear God's word explained, but I think every civic leader whether they're a king, a prime minister, a president, a premier, whatever role they have, a mayor, they need to hear God's word explained. Now we live in an age when people have, have mocked God's word so much that it's almost stereotyped what God's word actually says. And we saw some time back, when um, then Governor Barack Obama made some comments about the Bible, where he said the Bible encourages slavery, it forbids the eating of oysters, and it calls those things an abomination. Just a complete distortion of how to read the Bible. And so civic leaders are often tainted with this. And I remember having a conversation with with, uh, a member of the government, about what, about morality in the Bible, and 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 he came out with this comment: "Well, Jesus never said anything about. You know, it just so happens that he said about homosexuality." But I said, "You know that? Do you know that's not true?" And he said, "Yeah." I've, as Soon as I said it and looked at you, I thought it might not be. And so we went to Matthew. 15 and we saw that jesus said sexual immorality will defile a person defile and keep them out of heaven and keep them out of right standing with god and and i said what do you think jesus meant when he said sexual immorality he's he's using hebrews use categories this is a list of categories where do we get the details of what is included in this Well, the Old Testament gives the category header and gives the details. And Jesus said it. Now, can I also point out, that doesn't give us a license to go and be stupid, go and be mean, small-minded, whatever. Because all of us are sinners. Do you get that? All of us are. We all need forgiveness. The issue is not your sexuality. The issue is who you're worshipping. For some people, it is their sexuality. And for that, it could be heterosexual sin. They're in deep trouble because they're worshipping the wrong thing. So every civic leader needs to hear God's word explained. And I think most of you could do that. I really do. Most of you could do it. We, We go on the next verse. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll. And he took it from the chamber of Elisha, the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month. So in other words, it's winter. And the king was sitting in the winter house and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Hmm. Why did he do that? Well, why did the king do that? And now, I, I, at the very least, the, the, there's, this is an overreaction. You know, here's the king responding by, you've read that column, cut, rip, just boom, in the fire. The word of God causes a reaction. Sometimes it's completely irrational in people. But it is meant to cause a reaction. it actually is meant to cause a response. The Word of God is one of the few books, if not the the only book uniquely able to draw a response from its reader. Very difficult to read this and not get a response and one of the One of the things that um, I do with a couple as we 're preparing them for marriage is to show that when people begin to communicate with emotion they 're actually and even if it's negative emotion, it, it tells you that they're engaged. That, that, that they're actually they're actually trying to tell you something from their heart, and this is often this is by the way often confusing for a. A married couple because it's easy for the other person to think oh dear our marriage is in trouble because they're angry with me when in fact they will reveal their heart and even if it is anger because they actually love you and they feel secure with you and they trust you and now they really want you to know how they feel and if you think about it who on this planet do you really want to know for them to know how you really feel and the answer is going to be not many isn't it I mean, do you want everybody you interact with to know how you really feel about them? See, you're not giving me any vibes here, which tells me that you're tracking with me. <laughs> but you see, so when the king is expressing this deep emotion, he's engaged with this text. Something's going on here. And here's, I think, the purpose of it. The the purpose of the the word of God, it's it's meant to lead to a positive response. It's meant to. Now, you might think, well, pastor, are you saying that God's God's will is expressed in his word, that when we read his word, God's will will always be done? No, not quite. Kind of, yes, but not quite. Let me explain. God's will can be what he wants. But that doesn't mean that's what he will orchestrate. You might think, what? That doesn't sound like much of a will. It says in First Thessalonians, abstain from sexual immorality, for this is the will of God. Question, do Christians abstain from sexual immorality? I mean, after all, it's the will of God. Answer, you know the answer. In other words, it seems like... This is what God wants. Will you align your life with it? God's word states, this is what God wants. And to King Jehoiakim, this is what God wants. Repent. Forsake your idols. Put your idols aside. Treat the idols like you've just treated God's word. In other words, burn them. That was what God's word invited him to do. That's how God wanted him to respond. And he didn 't instead, he savaged god 's word. You ever heard people do that? Oh man if you haven 't and you really want to hear it i don 't know why you would, try this, real, this um, you may i 'm going to let you in on a website youtube.com There are thousands of people who think they 're really clever, really smart, and they 'll pull out Bible verses that they don 't understand. And they they try and make out the Bible to be irrelevant, out of date, silly, and so on. The Word of God is meant to bring a positive response. And this is going to be part of the challenge as well. And here is, let let me introduce the challenge. When you read God's Word, how do you respond? I mean, how would you respond if you were King Jehoiakim? You had lived a life of wanton excess? You had lived a life where you felt there was some 14-year-old kid prophesying out in the public square of Jerusalem calling you to repent. And you thought, well, you blighter, old get you. And then this kid writes a scroll calling you to repent and warning you that if you don't, a nation from thousands of miles away whom you've never heard of is going to come and invade you and conquer your city. Well, how would you feel? It seems like there was a whole bunch of people who heard Jeremiah saying this. And despite who it was, Jeremiah, young kid, despite that, they said, this is God. This is God. Can I just say that when you reject a message, a a statement, an idea, because of who gives it, that's a really dumb reason for rejecting it. And, And if you're a Christian and you give your ideas out in the public arena, you will be rejected, not because your idea is bad, wrong or silly, but because it's you. Doesn't that make you feel all warm and fuzzy? You'll be rejected because you're a Christian giving it. Oh, well, you're biased. You're a Christian. Of course you believe the Bible is God's word. You're biased. This is called, if you're into philosophical terms, the genetic fallacy. In other words... The genesis of where the idea comes from makes the idea wrong. And that's just dumb. Because you can have the most vile, foolish person say something true. And it's still true. Even though they were vile and foolish. It could be that King Jehoiakim is rejecting Jeremiah's message because it's from Jeremiah. It could be. Really, really dumb thing to do. Now... Here's these guys who've gone into the king. They've read the scroll and they're hoping that King Jehoiakim will humble himself and go, oh my goodness, he's right. Because Jeremiah wasn't saying anything other than what Moses had written in the book of Deuteronomy. All he's doing is reminding God's people of what God's word had already said. And they were hoping that the king would get it. They were really hoping that. And, of course, he didn't. And in a matter of weeks or so, he is deposed. Now, I want us to have the confidence to meet a politician, parliamentarian in a social context and say, you know, that abortion legislation that you're about to liberalise and make easier and pass in our state, what what is it we're actually talking about killing? And you might think that question is bit rude i don't think it's rude i actually think it's the point point. and they might go well yeah well I, I yeah of course you would think that you're a christian well no my christianity's got nothing to do with the question but if you want to know why as a christian i think that because i think everybody's created in the image of god and that begins at the moment of conception and every human life is valuable no matter the the word is sled size location environment stage of development It doesn't matter. We're all human. And here's the deal. Christians are more likely to be received, to persuade civic leaders, if we actually value scripture ourselves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the politician turns to you and says, oh yeah, where does it say that? And you go, ah, Psalms? I hope you could answer the question. Now, I'm pulling that out as an example. If we value God's word ourselves, if we recognize God's word, we will see principles in the Old Testament for how we should live in the New Testament. We'll see the Old Testament explained because of how we read the New Testament. And if we value the word of God, we will have a greater increased likelihood of politicians being persuaded about our arguments. We're back in the text here, verse 24. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid. Now I read that and I go, whoa, afraid? Where'd that come from? It sounds like Jeremiah, who's dictating this episode to Brooke as well, is, is saying, Look, this is a part of the response. When you're, in the, when you're in a wrong place and you hear God's word, it should cause you to go Oh dear, oh dear, <laughs> there's a little bit of afraidness that should c- come into the room about this point. And I remember as a 15-year-old reading through the epistle to the Romans, which our small groups are studying at the moment, And I remember reading it for the first time, and I remember having several oh dear moments. 15-year-old kid, being brought up in church all my life, dragged along to church at times, suddenly I read the book of Romans, and I'm having... Oh dear, this is me. Uh oh. And then fortunately I get to chapter ten, where Romans gives me the hope of how I can be made right with God. And it was it was for me at the age of fifteen something that turned my old dear into, oh God. Thank you for what you've done. So neither were they afraid, neither did they tear their garments. That was see, the word of God is meant to bring a response. You can't be reading the Bible, and the problem is we have it on our iPads. I read it on my iPad now. I love reading my Bible on my iPad. It's awesome. You can just flick and highlight and cross-reference and bang, tweet it. and Oh, it's awesome. But the problem is I can also go, oh, new email. Back to the Bible. Oh, look at that. Oh, look what they're doing to that kitten. See what I'm saying? <laughs> the Word of God is meant to bring a positive Response, and, and I'm preaching to myself, you're just all listening in right now. Even when El Nathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Verse 26. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah uh, the son of Abdil to seize Baruch the secretary and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. <laughs> I love that last little bit, but here we have this situation where it looks like the king 's in control, and here 's one of these biblical butts, but God hit him god 's in control god 's in control here and and we may be trying to share god 's word with someone, and it may not look like it 's going real well, but God but God, awesome. so what do we see from this? Hopefully. You already know this. Hopefully you know that God's Word is no ordinary book. It's not one... You can say, yeah, I read it. I read it three, four years ago. I got it. I got it. I know it. I know the story. Yep, yeah, no problem. It's about saving the environment and killing people, trying to getting onto the ark and kicking them off. And I know it's all about saving the animals and the butterflies. I got that. I saw the movie. I got it. I got it figured. And you may think that's what the Bible is all about it isn't how should you read God's word we've just seen that Jeremiah expected that when God's word was read there would be a response there would be a positive response there would be fear generated there would be oh my goodness repentance generated how do we read God's word do we read it prayerfully do we read it as an act of worship do we read it giving God the opportunity to speak to us do we? I mean, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? That your entire quality of your Christian life is determined by how much you interact with God's word. I mean, it sounds, it sounds ridiculously simple. How should we understand God's word? The king clearly understood it. <laughs> no disputing whether he understood it. The fact that he hacked it to pieces and then threw it in the fire, he got it. In fact, someone has said the word of God is so clear, you actually need a lot of help to misunderstand it. And if you think, well, I don't know, you know, there's so many people got have different interpretations of the Bible. It's not those bits that worry me. It's the bits that we all agree on. It's the bits that call me to repent. It's the bits that call me to walk wholly devoted. You know, Romans 12.1, Therefore, brethren, I urge you, by the mercies of God, present your whole bodies as a living sacrifice to God, because this is your reasonable spiritual worship hmm i wonder what the greek means on that because that sounds like total surrender and i want to know what the greek says first let's have a dispute over it can you see what i'm saying the bits of the bible that are abundantly clear 99.9 percent of it they're the ones i got the problem with not the supposedly obscure bits how should we understand the bible i can give you three really quick things never take a bible verse don't just read it in isolation always take it in context Always allow another scripture to illuminate an obscure scripture. If you're reading a verse and go, I don't quite understand that. Keep going. I'm sure you'll find another verse that sheds light on that verse. Let scripture interpret scripture. If you just did those two things, your Bible reading will take on a whole new appreciation. How should we respond to God's word? Well, hopefully, here's the king responding in a really negative way. And I think this story is in here to say to God's people... This is how you don't respond. Have you noticed so much of life is actually negative learning? You see people doing it wrong and you go, Gee, I don't think that's how you're supposed to do this. How should we respond to God's word? How should we share God's word? Would you say this was a successful sharing of God's word? Hmm. In one sense it was, wasn't it? Because it was faithfully shared. In one sense, these Jeremiah wrote it so it could be heard. It was heard. Baruch read it, so it would be heard. It was definitely heard. The hope was that the king would hear it and that he would repent. He didn't repent. Was it successful sharing of God's word? Well in one sense, yeah it was, because people's response is up to them, isn't it? You know, as a preacher, if, if I was if I was only preaching because I knew that you would respond positively, that probably I'd be in despair because I know that not everybody does. But can I do it faithfully? Can you do it faithfully? Can you share tomorrow morning at your workplace something that is grounded in God's word? And can I say to you something grounded in God's word sometimes sounds like this. They're having a discussion about how people shouldn't tell people what they should do and how they're so sick of Christians who force their morals down others' throats and go... And you might just go, ground in God's word, you might go, is that your moral position? Yes, it is. Are you going to keep that private? Or are you going to share it in a way that you're forcing it on others? Hmm. That would change the mood of the tea room, wouldn't it? Yeah. Can I suggest how we share God's word is you probably don't want to take in the family, the family Bible, the, the great big one, into the tea room and go put the prayer shawl on and start, and start reading. You probably don't want to do it that way. In fact, you probably, you probably, if you can, probably don't want to do that in the tea room at all. And if you can, if you can stretch this far, try and act normal at work. <laughs> Live the kind of life that, if you're asked for the reason for the hope you have within you, First Peter three fifteen, you can tell them why you believe God's word. So here's the question: We finish with this. We've read this little story. We're taking this story. We've got one more chat, one more little piece of this story to go. And here's the question: As we stop here, as we reflect on this, we see God's word communicated through written form. We see it shared publicly, it's kind of preached in the marketplace, it's then taken to the king, it's poorly received. And we can see it's in the Bible for a reason. And I'm going to suggest to you it's there for negative learning reasons. In other words, this is a bad way to receive God's word. You shouldn't receive God's word this way. Question, how should we receive it? And if you're not reading God's word, can I honestly, honestly tell you, this is not a rebuke this morning. This is not a, come on, get your act together. This is a, come on, come on, make a commitment. Over the next couple of weeks, if you just read two chapters a day of Matthew, you'll get through the story of Jesus and and you'll find you'll spill right in about Easter to what's actually happening in Matthew. So here's the question, what is God saying to you through his word? Are you open to hear from God through his word?
0: Tearing through the scriptures, it's been done before by leaders and others not understanding and therefore not liking what they read. We have a responsibility to know God's word and wisely share it with our civic leaders and those who inquire of it. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Tearing Through the Scriptures, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters.